Hey everybody, this is Jimmy Corain, and you're listening to another episode of Improv Nerd. We have two great sponsors for you today. Our first sponsor is Steel Stacks Improv Comedy Festival, which is taking place in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, January 30th through February 1st. Now, they're already uh, assembling a great lineup for the festival, including the UCB Touring Company and me, Jimmy Corain. I'll be down there doing a live Improv Nerd and teaching workshops. You're asking yourself, where's Bethlehem, Pennsylvania? Well, I'll tell you. It's only a short drive from Philly and New York. Submissions are now open, so all you need to do is go to steelstacks.org slash improv to submit to the festival. That's steelstacks.org slash improv. Now we're also sponsored by the Houston Improv Festival, which is taking place April 16th through the 19th. And guess what? I'll be there as well doing a live improv nerd and teaching workshops. Submissions are now open through New Year's Day, and they are offering so many great incentives if you're a team uh, coming to the Houston uh, Festival. And if you are a team outside of Houston, you will get a free night stay at the official hotel. So to submit to the Houston Improv Festival, all you need to go, all you need to do is go to HoustonImprovFestival.com slash submissions. That's if you want to submit to the festival, all you need to do is go to HoustonImprovFestival.com slash submissions. I think you're really going to like today's episode, and it's a show that I've been wanting to do for a very long time, because there's a lot of improvisers out there who want to take their improvisation to the next level, and they want to do videos, or they want to do feature-length film using improvisation. And our guest today uh, has done that, and not only has he done it, but he's done it very, very well. Our guest today is Jack Newell. Now, Jack is a writer, producer, actor, and director, and he's, he is the head of the new TV, film, and digital department at the Second City Training Center here in Chicago. He's directed the largely improvised film Closed Quarters and Open Tables, which is in post-production. We talked to Jack about how he directs and how he uses improvisation in his films and his videos. Uh, also, how he gets his own projects produced. He's given a budget and how he works with that budget, which I found to be very helpful, especially if you're trying to produce a film or do a video. And he also shares with us his process on the set as he's directing uh, and what is going on through his head. And we do this in the improv portion of this show. I invite Stacy Smith, who is a wonderful improviser here in Chicago, and we do kind of like a, a, a facsimile of what it would like, what it would be like to be on a set with Jack. Uh, you are going to really enjoy this episode. But before we get to that episode, I, I just want to say, last weekend it was bitter cold here in Chicago, and my wife Lauren and I, we usually go out on Saturday night. We decided we're going to stay in because it was so cold. It's about 8.30, and of course, you know, for me, I'd be happy just to read a book and go to bed, but my wife, who's much younger, she's 14 years younger, has much more energy, is much more positive, uh, wants to do something, so she suggests a movie, uh, renting a movie or, or watching a movie, and I'm like, no, I'm not interested, and then she says, how about a board game? Now, when I hear, let's play a board game, I, I immediately have the same reaction. I say no, and then when I start playing the board game, I really like it. I really get into it. So um, she said, how about Scrabble? I didn't even know we had Scrabble, but we apparently we do. And so we set it up on the coffee table, and uh, I, I agreed. I, I agreed because I didn't want... 
I didn't want her to think that I'm not fun, like sh- like she married some old man or something. So I said, Let- let's do it. And uh, we started playing Scrabble. And, you know, every 20 minutes I'd look at the clock going, oh, my God, when is this game going to end? And then I finally got into it. And... Um, I actually enjoyed it, and uh, we had a great weekend besides Scrabble. We went out Friday night with some friends for dinner, and then uh, I taught on Saturday, and uh, then we we had an improv nerd show on Sunday, which went really great. And I look back on that weekend, and the, the high point of the weekend for me was playing Scrabble with my wife, Lauren. And... Um, it just reminds me that it's very important to do different things, to get out of your comfort zone. And she said something uh, that I thought was really um, interesting. She said, my, my, my wife is a wonderful writer. And she said, you know, writers need to have experiences so they can write about them. And I thought to myself, you know what, that's true for me too. And I am so grateful that I have a wife who forces me to play Scrabble on a Saturday night when I'd rather be in bed. Because I need those experiences. Just like she said about writers, I need those, those experiences too so I have something to draw off of when I improvise. So enough about me. You're going to love this episode, especially if you're into film and video and you want to take your improv to the next level. Here it is, the Jack Newell episode. Thank you, Jack. I am so excited. Now, is this on? Is this working? Yes. Joe, this is working? The... the can you just double check? Because I get very, very paranoid. You're good. Uh, I am so paranoid. Jack, I can't tell you how excited I am to have you on the show. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Because uh, so many people want to do this, and they don't do it well. You know? The, and, I, can't, I can't say yes to that. I, I, I'm going to say you do it well. Okay. All right. Um, when did you start making movies? You said in high school you got like a, a camera, a really bad camera. Correct. Yeah, I, don't, I couldn't tell you which one it was now, but... Uh, at the time, it was very fancy in like '98 or '99, and then started shooting movies in high school. And you wanted—you didn't have any idea that you wanted to do comedy. You wanted to do more yeah. action stuff. Kind of action, kind of what everyone watches when they're growing up as a kid. You know, Indiana Jones, Jaws, Star Wars, etc. And how did you do that, like in suburban Glen Ellen, which is a very <laughs> there's no water for Jaws. No, there's no water for Jaws. Um, we, in my senior year of high school, we made a movie, which we never finished, called Dinosaurs Attack Dartend. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's, oh, yeah. No one ever saw it. It's never, it's never, okay, been, never been Where released. humans play the dinosaurs. Okay. Because Jurassic Park had been out for a couple of years, and my friend did a pretty good raptor impersonation. Mm-hmm. And so we tried to make this movie, and it was, like, hilarious and terrible at the same time. And that was the first one into it. And then I kind of was like, oh, I could do this. I really enjoy this. I would like to do this more. And then you ended up at Columbia College. Correct. How did you end up at Columbia College, which is a great film department? Yeah, it's great. I mean, it, there this there wasn't this huge like moment of it was just kind of like it's open enrollment, which uh, means they'll let it, I went they'll there. They'll let anybody in. Right. Yeah. It, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, living proof. Um, it, they let anyone in, and I was like, you know what, like. This is what I want to do, and my parents were like, "That's fine." Like, they don't, didn't really seem to care. It wasn't a huge discussion, honestly. It was just kind of like, "I would like to do this," and they're like, "Okay." And then you're you're and you you're not going to direct. You you do everything but direct, right? At Columbia. Uh, what do you mean? Like like you you don't go in there going, "I'm going to be oh, a film right, director." Oh, right. Sorry. Yeah. So I probably knew. I probably thought I wanted to be a film director when I went in, but I. Um, didn't and I, I don't know exactly know why maybe I wasn't um, 
uh, sure of myself. I'm not entirely sure what it was. I would say the first year or two at Columbia was, um, I did not apply myself at all. What do you mean by that? Uh, doing drugs, uh, getting drunk? Yeah, the, okay. you know, the stuff you do in, in Col Columbia. In, yeah, in Columbia. Sure. Uh, or most colleges. And then I kind of, so I, I started, I went in, I was like, okay, I'm going to be a cinematography student, because why not? Uh, but then in cinematography, you actually have to know math, like straight up hard math. And once we got into all of that physics, I was like, I can't do this. This is not for me. So then I went into editing. And then I got into that, and I was like, oh, this is fun, but it's not kind of as creatively challenging as I want it to be. So I went to screenwriting. I, I just didn't like the program. And then I was like, well, I should take directing classes. And then my last two years at Columbia, I took all the directing classes I could. Uh, I got to participate in uh, what was then called the practicum. It was the first year they ever did it, which is essentially an undergraduate thesis-level filmmaking project. It, they do it now all the time, and it's, it's a big success for them. But ours was the first year. Um, and so that was kind of, I just fell in love with it. I was like, oh, I really, really, really enjoy this. Like, this and, is what I want to do. And then junior year something happens. You, uh, they need another actor in a film project. Right, so I was in a directing one class. I had two teachers at the time. And uh, we were doing scenes from David Mamet's American Buffalo. And um, in our class at the time, you had to put up a scene. Otherwise, um, you got an F on the project. And so if you didn't at least show a scene, you automatically got an F. And the point of the teaching the reason why they did it was they were trying to be like, you have to deliver. Like, you always have to do something. You, even if you lose your actors or lose a location, whatever happens, you have to deliver. And what were they trying to teach you with that? Just that you have to deliver. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, you, you, it's like there's no, um, if you're director, if you're the producer, you have to make sure that the film is made. And that is something that you say people aren't doing films well now. I think the number one thing I see a lot of is that people just don't finish the films or they let things get in the way and stumble them up. And the thing in film is that Murphy's Law is always in full effect. Nothing is ever going to go to plan. And so the, the, what they try to teach us was to say, it's like, nothing's going to go to plan. Like, if you're waiting for the perfect situation, you're never going to make your film. That's kind of the way So plan for things to screw up. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. You know, when I produce a film, not to jump ahead, or when I produce a film or if I'm doing a film, like, I'll have my cast, but they don't know they listen to this podcast I've got I've got many other people I would cast in all of those roles and for any location that I lock I've got a couple other locations that I've got in my back pocket because I'm always ready for something to so you cast me in, a, in one of your films you've yeah. got three other people that, that are going to replace Jimmy Korean ringers yeah right what is, what is the thought behind that that I'm going to back out of it I mean who knows I mean it could be anything you mm -hmm. could I, mean, I could get killed. Yeah, I could get killed. Right. Well, let's not hope that. I was watching this documentary about the Tour of France yesterday, and um, uh, and it's this between these two amazing uh, bike riders, Greg LeMond and um, Bernard Lowe, and they have this great fight for the win. And it's like until you cross the finish line, you're not you haven't won the race yet. That's kind of the thing that they talk about, and it's like that's true. I mean, until you until the film is done, you haven't crossed the finish, crossed the finish line. Until you film a shot. It doesn't matter. You could be cast in my film, but if you don't make it to set that day or anything happens, like you're not in the film. So you do American Buffalo. Well, let's right, get so back to that. <laughs> so uh, my one of my student or one of my peers, um, his actor didn't show up, and he's like, Jack, could you just fill in? Like, I need you to do teach or something. Like and that. you had some acting background in high school, right? I'd done some. Yeah. I mean, I, you say that begrudgingly, like you were no good. I, w I didn't get into any. The only reason I got into the musicals in high school is because I just was a man. Mm -hmm. Like they needed extra men, <laughs> and that's fine. And then um, I never was given any acting duties. It was basically just like you know, in like Fiddle on the Roof, I was like you know, 
other Jewish person in the right. village, right? I got, to do the, <laughs> I got to do the bottle dance, which mm-hmm. was pretty cool. Uh, and in Music Man, I was just one of the chorus. Mm-hmm. That's what we did in high school. Um, so not a, a ton, and whenever I tried out for the plays, I never got into them, because I just wasn't good or whatever. I don't know, Miss Semper, I don't know why. If I'm looking at Miss Semper right now. She's watching this in the camera. Why did you not cast me in the shows? <laughs> um, so I had a little experience, but it wasn't not much. And so anyway, so they uh, they said, hey, could you do this? And I think I was playing Teach. He's the guy, swear, the guy who swears all the time in American Buffalo, the one guy who swears all the time in American Buffalo. <laughs> and um, I got up there, and I, I had kind of known the text, but essentially I was able to improvise my way through it improvise my way through it, not even knowing what improvisation really was. I just kind of went up there. I kind of knew what the scene needed to be. I kind of knew where it needed to go. I knew probably a couple lines here and there, and I just kind of went with it. And so afterwards, the teachers were like, that was amazing. Like, like we know he, we know, you know, he lost his actor. When did you come into the process? And I was like, oh, I came in like now, like 10 minutes ago. And they're like, you should think about taking improv classes because it shows you have an ability to be able to think on your feet. And so I was like, oh, okay. And they're like, you should go to this place called Second City. I was like, I'm familiar with that. And like, they have classes there you can take. And my teacher was like, I'm friends with Gelman, so I'll Michael Gelman, yeah. yeah. So he's like, I'll get you into like IFA 1, so I don't have to take AFA. That was Ron Falzone, right? Correct, Ron okay. Falzone. And um, so I took IFA 1 and IFA 2, which is at that time I think all you needed to take to get into conservatory. And then I, I was really enjoying it. So I IFA was improper actor. Yeah. And it was always like the back door to get into conservatory. Correct, yeah. Right. Um, and so I did that, and then I started taking conservatory classes, and, and that was that was my – and I did all of conservatory. And then near the end of my conservatory time, I did um, improper one with IFA. And was there at this point? Did you want to be an actor? Did you kind of get the bug of being? I could be on main stage, or I could do TV and film. I think. Yeah, I think I did. Was like I was like I want to be on main stage. I think everyone who goes through, through Second City, even if you're taking like the the most like random class, it like passes through your brain. Yeah, I think Just it's how fast does it pass through? It's your like brain? the smells of Disney World. Yeah. Don't you think it's like you you yeah. can't not think that you're going to be on main stage. But I kind of quickly, <laughs> right, exactly. And, you know, if you're there and you're doing it, you clearly think that you probably have the ability to. So, but after I graduated, I mean, I wasn't, I never got, at I.O., I never got put on any house teams. Again, it's like the Miss Sumpera thing flashback. Like, why didn't you put me on any house teams at I.O.? I didn't get any, I was never, you know, I uh, auditioned for stuff that's like I say, you never got anything. It just never happened. And that's, that's fine. I'm, I'm not, I'm not bitter. <laughs> but I, are you I, disappointed about that? Because no. you love comedy and you direct comedy. I don't think I'm actually. I, no, I, I don't have a problem with it because I actually don't think I'm that good as an improviser, truly. And so it's not. That's not weird. I mean, I could do it. I guess there's probably a lot of people who aren't really that good, but do it. I, I guess it kind of came down to a moment. I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean it just. It's a question of passion. It's like, where does your passion lie? And I could have continued pursuing the acting, improvisation, acting, acting thing. And I was like, well, that's not really where my passion lies. I got into this through film. This was a great learning experience, and improvisation is such a part of every every way I make film or how I make films. Uh, why? Why? It was almost a, uh, going on a detour at that point. It's like go back to what your passion is. So my passion was was filmmaking, and it always has been, and always had been. Uh, and then now I can focus on directing. And so near the end of my I.O., we did the thing like our I.O. team or our class, whatever. We're like, we're going to be a team now, right? Like on our own and we're going to be friends forever, that kind of whole thing. <laughs> and so we started trying to do shows on our own. We had a couple shows at Playground. And then I was like, you know what? I'd love to just direct the, the ensemble. And then we did that a little bit. And then it kind of just like all those, it ends up everyone just kind of like six months. So and then you, so you start to segue back into directing again with, yeah. the, with the Maximum Party Zone. And Bill right. Arnett, right. Danny Mora, right. uh, Bobby, Bobby Moore. Yeah. 
So tell us about that. So, uh, Bob, uh, excuse me, Dan, uh, gosh, no, not Bobby or Danny, Bill, the other guy of the three. Love Bill. Look, Bill, Bill's a great friend of mine. Um, and um, we had done one of these things, one of these sitcom pilots that everyone was doing back, back in 2007 or 8, somewhere in there. Um, and we did one uh, that a friend of mine wrote, and we, and we had a really good time together, and Bill was well cast. He plays a psychiatrist who's also like, basically insane, and it was a lot of fun. And I had not, I had not known Bill before then. I'd, I think I'd maybe seen him perform once, but I had no kind of... When you were like at I.O., because Bill was at I.O., yeah. were you going, okay, I'm going to cast this person or cast this No, no, no. Okay. Julie, uh, Julie Peterson, she was a, one of my best friend's moms, wrote the pilot. Okay. Um, and she gave me this chance to direct this thing, and she's like, she's like, I'd love for you to direct it. Uh, here's the money. We had like a couple thousand dollars. She's like, I've got the money, um, and but you have to cast Bill as the psychiatrist. And I was like, okay, <laughs> fine. Like, and I, I knew him well enough. Like, we let's do this. And also, you can't say no to a job where you've already got the budget. You can direct it. I mean, that's incredible. So we did this thing, and we had a good experience. And then I remember Bill and I met for coffee in Roscoe Village, a Starbucks in Roscoe Village. And it was like kind of filling each other out. And then he's like, would you want to direct more stuff? And I was like, yeah, like, what are you thinking? And as I tell the story, and I told you this on the phone, but like in my mind, he like left, reached over and pull, pulled out a huge stack of scripts. And that didn't actually happen, but. But when we do the movie version, that's, that's what's going to happen. He, and he's like, well, because Maximum Party Zone was born in um, IO Cage Match. And they won, the first time they ever did this cage match, they won like for like eight times straight or something like that. And the, the, the way they did their cage match, and I might be screwing this story up a little bit, but basically this is it. You, you had to come up with a new show every single week. So they were coming up with new shows every single week. And so they had this huge back catalog of material. And they're all nerds, and they're all movie people. And so all of their stuff was kind of already skewing towards cinematic. Uh, a lot of parody stuff, a lot of horror, a lot of like um, kind of genre-specific things, which translate incredibly well to the short sketch um, medium, I guess. Uh, and so he's like... You know, puts this huge pile on the desk. And he's like, "Would you like to? Would you want to do this?" And I was like, "Yeah, let's do it." And so he's like, "Okay, great." He's like, "I'll pay for it." And we ended up, you know, it wasn't that expensive, and we'll shoot it around town. And um, you, will you direct it and produce it? And I said yes. And so what we ended up doing was, over the course of a year, we met four times over the course of the year, and in each period of shooting, we shot for about anywhere between three and seven days, kind of. Depending, and in that we would shoot um, what was usually called just like a joke of a day or a, a sketch of a day, which would be like a fifteen to thirty second bit that we'd release every single day. The plan was to release every single day, and then we should shoot like a number of sketches that were a little bit more bro longer, like three to five, four minute sketches. Uh, and we did this for a year. And so we ended up turning out like five, uh, four hundred some odd pieces if you think about each individual thing. And I love it that you used to break into I.O. Yeah, so we broke into I.O. all the time. The first time we did was we broke into Columbia College where I was teaching. And then we, well, that's okay. Yeah, which is fine, but I wasn't, I knew the, I knew how bad it would have been if we got caught, like, because they're, they have security guards and it's like a thing, and I was like, so we can only do it once, and so Bill was like, well, we can go into I.O., and Bill had the key because he taught. Sorry, Bill. And, um, and so we would go in at like six in the morning, and shoot, and usually, I mean, no one's at I.O. at 6 no. no one's at I.O. at like 2 in the afternoon. Right. right? <laughs> so we would have this, we'd have essentially eight hours of just empty I.O. to shoot. Uh, and we shot almost all of the sketches at or behind or near I.O. I think there's one or two that... Did Sharna didn't. or Mike Glick ever 
catch on? My memory is that they did, and they just we would be shooting, and one of them would have come in earlier, and they're just like, oh, hey, hey, what are you guys doing? Shooting something. Cool. I mean, that, that was it. I mean, they did not really care, which is one of the things that's so great about IO. It's kind of just like open, like an open source area of improv and all these different people. And, that. and you said something that I thought was interesting was you said that like you, you, you realized when you were doing this is like, we're, these yeah. aren't going to go viral and we, right. don't, we don't really care. Well, it was a little bit like, there's two things I realized doing. One was that this is like my grad school because I never want, I wasn't, I really, really liked school. Am I jumping ahead? Did I? No, no, no. You, you're not. <laughs> One was that I didn't, I would never really like school. I wasn't, I was good enough to get by. Like I was good enough to be the guy who just like passed everything, but I never felt inspired at school. Um, and so this first off is like, this is like my grad school. It's like, I'm just doing a lot of work. I'm learning how to shoot different genres. I'm learning how to put together a film shoot, all this kind of stuff. And, and in such an incredible rate, there's no real time to like stop and get um, perfectionist over everything. It's just like, we set up a schedule. It's like, well, we have to turn these out. It's like, if I'm gonna deliver this sketch by next week, like we just have to do it and make it work as best as possible, which is a great, uh, it was a great learning experience. But um, the other thing I learned was once we had done them for a while, probably three quarters of the way through that first year, and we're promoting them, we realized that to make be successful in the YouTube kind of experience or the funnier die, whatever you want to call it, the thing is you you need to be more than a funny. It needs to be more than funny. You need to be more than a good filmmaker, more than a good comedian. You need to be a marketer. You need to be a promoter. And we just didn't want to do that. We just kind of wanted to make the videos and put them up. And it would have been great if someone else would have promoted them for us. But at a certain spot, once we realized it's like, well, we're never going to be able to really like make get a return on this in any kind of way. That's, you know, people can see him and like him, hopefully. But it just kind of was like that was pretty much the end. Where it's like, well, the only way to it was a it was a weird moment. If I'm making this clear, where it's like, we would love to keep doing this, but if the only reason people watch things is because of promotion, that sucks. And I don't really want to do that. Does that make sense? Yeah. So people are doing this now. I mean, people are doing stuff on the, you know, they're putting stuff on yeah. YouTube and stuff. And they, they really, there's this, it, it's almost like the gold rush. They think that something great is going to happen. Yeah. What is your feeling about that? Um, my feeling on it is that I'm sure for some of them it absolutely will happen. But like, that's probably the exception, not the rule. I think that to do the stuff that seems like it's the most successful, you've got to be chasing uh, clicks and you got to be kind of doing topical stuff and stuff that's only of the moment, which is not, I'm absolutely not interested in that. That I mean, I think that is just not what I'm interested in. I don't know what to put it. I mean, that's great for like a, a, a nightly television show or for improv because this is, it's a theater of the moment and of right now. But I'm interested in stuff that's a little bit more, I guess you could call it evergreen or you just say stuff that's, Evergreen or timeless, not to make it sound too, um, I don't know, too uh, douchey, I guess is the word. <laughs> um, just trying to make stuff that's, that's I don't know, just more timeless. timeless. I mean, yeah. I put it, I mean, there's, that sounds bad, but that's kind of what I mean. And so a lot of the stuff I think is you've got to be doing the stuff that's very like topical and that's just kind of honestly boring to me. That's not at all interesting to me. But something that was very interested for you to do was close quarters. Correct. And um, uh, how did that come about? Okay, so at the end of MPZ, um, Joe Rosengarten, who ended up executive producing close quarters, uh, had been had moved into town here and had taken some improv classes. Um, and he was he was he loved improv and he was interested in like trying to get involved. And he also loved films, and so 
he ended up kind of talking to Bill because he would see 33-3 every Sunday night or every Sunday. Which is this great improv, yeah, at I.O. And, um, and they, I think, had tried to do a couple of video projects together, but it didn't work. And Bill was like, hey, we're doing these things, MBZ. And Joe's like, oh, yeah, I've seen them. They're funny. Um, and so we invited Joe to come and kind of watch how we did stuff. And he was impressed. He was like, oh, this is good. And then I made another short film with uh, Tim Kazarinski and Francis Guinan and Titan. Titan yep. um, and Joe came out on that, and um, he watched the set, and he gave a, some money to the production uh, and helped us out kind of in a time of need. And um, he was like, you know, you, you, you run the set really professionally. You've gotten great production value out of this. I mean, you got Francis and Tim, who are incredibly well-accomplished actors. You know, at the time, I was like 28, 7, 9, somewhere in there. So youngish, you know, and that he was like, this is very impressive. Like, would you want to do a feature length film that's improvisational? And I was like, yeah, that would be, that's, that would be great. Because a couple years prior, I had tried to do an improv movie and it kind of fell apart. Well, how did, fantastically. In, in what way? So in that way, well, the idea was fraught from the beginning. It was a bad, a bad idea. I'm actually really glad I never made the film. Um, it was partly because it would have been cringeworthy, partly because it was an incredible motivator to make Close Quarters. It was like, don't let this happen again. I remember when Close Quarters coming up, I was having like, not flashbacks, it wasn't Vietnam, but it was just like, these are, <laughs> these are the moments where you, where you decide not to do it and you end up not making the film. What was it in that first movie that's like, that you learned like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make it? There's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. We had a lot of people who were kind of like the, producers and writers and so that was one thing one was that we thought we had the money the main reason why I fell apart is we thought we had the money I had started I had had a cast I started rehearsing I started um, doing the whole thing like we were ready to go and we lost the money and so we like, I was like well we don't have any money like I don't literally have nothing and so basically it was just like it's done we, we had to kind of walk away so close quarters you did have the money you had fifteen thousand dollars to start yeah, with yeah Joe said we have 50, let's do it for fifteen thousand he's like that's what I'm willing to do can you do it and I was like the way I've always approached films and I think this is I've kind of talked about this a little bit before but it's especially when you're starting off it's a lot of like um, you can't say no to anything I mean, you can't say no to any opportunity and you can't you have to just say the way I'd approach it is like what's the budget you know there, there's a weird thing in filmmaking I, I did a panel a couple weeks ago where they're like how much does a movie cost to make and it's like I don't know man like that's, that's such an impossible question to answer but I think the best way that I approach things in the independent filmmaking world is how much money do we have and then what's, we'll reverse engineer from there um, and Joe was like, we have $15,000. And I was like, I don't know, but we will find a way to make a movie for $15,000. Now, it's not entirely true. The film ended up costing double that. Um, but he had told me every step of the way, whenever the budget would raise, he's like, I didn't expect this movie to actually cost $15,000. He's like, but I wanted to try and keep things. You know, he's like, I can't get, I can't keep on dumping tons of money into this, right? So uh, Joe and I started meeting at a coffee shop up in uh, uptown called Dollop, and we would meet, I feel like, a lot. And I feel like we met for six or nine months, maybe once a week even, talking, uh, ideating, kind of shooting ideas around, like, how would we do this? What would it look like? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we reached a spot where we realized we kind of needed a script. We needed something... We needed something to produce. We needed something to be able to schedule. Were you thinking, I'm just going to show up on set and we're going to improvise this? Well, that was part of the conversation, and I knew I didn't want to do that. I knew we needed some sort of conceptual um, framework. Otherwise, the film would probably have suffered from some of the things that other improvised attempts do suffer from. So what did you guys come up with in terms of script? It's about 30 pages, We right? came up with like about 30, I think it's 25 to 30 pages, and it's... 
there's there, the script there in the finished film there are a couple of uh, written sequences in the film that are scripted normal with character dialogue excuse me and uh, acted like by actors uh, and those are the two baristas and they kind of are at the beginning they're a couple times in the middle and they're at the end and the reason we put those in was if the improvs are just like um, shooting off into like all these different directions these guys would tie it all together they kind of bring a focus point back and give the audience uh, a way to understand and kind of process what they're seeing uh, and and then also, if, if the improvs all failed terribly, hopefully the audience would be engaged in these two characters, uh, Barry and Abby, who are the baristas, enough to kind of like deal with the, right, to deal with the, the improvisations um, until the end. Now, the thing that's interesting is almost the opposite happened, is that people in watching the film really respond to the improvisations, uh, mostly, uh, probably mostly TJ and Kate's, um, Kate Duffy, yeah, TJ and Kate Duffy, and then Dave and um, Dave Pesquazy and Holly, mm -hmm. um, which are kind of like the core of the of the film. There, um, people really respond to those and want more of that and less of the scripted stuff. So it's kind of it's the problems you think you're going to have. You what know, do you look for as a director in terms of an an improviser doing the film? Because they're right. not the same thing, right? No, they're not. And I think that there's a lot of. In, um, incredibly talented people that don't successfully make the transition to film and it sucks because um, it, it's not because they're a bad improviser or because anything it's just that maybe they don't have the skill set that sets them up to succeed on film uh, whether that's uh, learned or they just um, aren't right for film um, a lot of it has to do with the inability to actually to act which sounds kind of silly to say it out loud but um, you do need to be able to act uh, a lot of film, although, you know, at close quarters, we did not do multiple takes. It was just two cameras or three cameras running continuously. So the improvisations you're seeing are not re-improvised. They had not done anything beforehand. Most of them didn't even know anything until they showed up on set that night. I would tell them very little bit, very little bit pieces of information. Um, but I think what you need is, is the ability to then... Because even if you're improvising, even in this kind of open form like close quarters I, that I just laid out, you still need to hit your mark. You still need to know where your light is. And there's a lot of stuff that happens on the stage too, but it's, I don't know, you don't really have marks in improv. I mean, that's kind of the thing. So it starts to get weird already for people who are not used to that. And they, sometimes people can get really like, they want to do, you know, I just, and I just fucked up your shot over there, right? right. Like, but it's what I want to do in the improvisation of the moment, you know? Well, it's, it's more restrictive. Is what it's you're more saying. restrictive, yeah. So what would you say to like somebody who's like, you know, there's so many people in improv that go on and do very well. Absolutely. You know, in, in film, film and television. What would you, but, but they didn't get there purely on improvisation, right? I mean, they had to, what would you tell somebody who's improvising now who wants that kind of career in TV and film? Right, I think it's, you know, uh, past successes do not necessarily mean future success, if there, there's some sort of saying like that, but it's like, you know, you, if you have a skill set, you have to find a way to take that skill set and make it work towards your advantage. You know, I've worked with a lot of improvisers in town, and it's interesting to see some of the best ones, you know, they, they come to set with note cards with their scripts on it because they, they're not good at memorizing because, you know, a, an actor who went to acting school has, has an ability to get off book like that, right? Like faster than, I, like I wrote the thing, and they're like, I'm like, how are you a book already? Like, I don't even know all the words, you know? Um, but improvisers sometimes don't have that skill set. So I think that's part of it, is just understanding the, the form better. I think another thing is that when you're on, 
you know, you know, when a, when you're directing a show like a standard theater show like um, Hamlet or whatever, you know, opening night the director's done. It's like as soon as that curtain goes up, the director's you know getting trashed in the lobby bar because he's done. He it, it would be unacceptable for the director to come back and start giving you notes. I mean, I'm sure it happens, but it's not it's not the medium. The medium is the actor. And improvisation is absolutely true. In improvisation, you are the writer, you are the director, you are the actor, you are the choreographer. You're all of these things in one, which is incredible. Uh, it's incredible that you have all these gifts. I mean, you specifically, or, 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 or anyone doing improvisation. But in film, you are one of those things, which I think improvisers, I don't know, maybe are control freaks to a certain extent. I think that to then have to seed essentially nine of the ten things that they can do over to other people, that's kind of freaky. Um, so, but you you describe yourself as a control freak. So yeah, what happens? But when, I'm the director, so I can be a control freak. Right. But what happens when um, the con, you know the control freak of an improviser and then a control freak of a director? How does how do those guys make that dance work? Uh, or how do you make that dance work? Well, I think it takes so Pasquese. I mean, Dave Pasquese. He's well, he's a he's great weird, actor. actually because yeah, because he's too good of an actor actually for this to work really, but. Um, he he said that um, he he felt that he what we weren't gonna burn him like he's done enough big small medium films to have done the improvisations and for the director to have basically picked the worst performance and to kind of make him look like shit and he told me like the thing that he thought was so good about close quarters and the reason why he he worked with me on open tables is that he knew that I wasn't gonna make him look bad. I was going to like get the best, most interesting. You know, they always say play to your the height of your intelligence, right? In terms of improv, it's like, well, you make the film to the height of your intelligence as well. And, and that's what we did. You know, TJ too. And TJ is an incredible improviser. And he, it's an, it, I've been felt so honored working with him because he's been able to just like kind of uh, trust me, honestly. I mean, it just kind of comes out of that. Just his, so if I'm going to say something to an improviser, it's like you need to find good people to work with and then you have to try and trust them and know that there are other people in the room who are doing their work and you need to just, you, what your job in this moment is just to deliver your lines or hit your mark or do whatever you need to do or, or shut up or just sit around or not do anything. So we're going to find out right now, because I'm a huge control freak, Great. which is sad. It's just sad that I'm, you know, a uh, control freak because it is not, it doesn't help in the creative process and it doesn't help in my life or in my <laughs> career. Or at all. At all. It just doesn't. I, I don't know why. Like, I don't, pardon? It's time to make a change. Yeah. Um, okay, so we, oh, let's bring Stacy Smith up. Great. So Woo! let's hear it. And uh, do you want to just set this up, uh, what we're going to do? Okay, so uh, Jimmy and Stacy are going to improvise a scene. They each have a, a want that they want from the other person. Um, they don't know what that want is. So one of the objectives here is to get what you want from the other person. Um, we've set up a couple of general rules of the world. They're together. This is going to take place in their apartment. They are a dating couple. They've been together for a couple of years. They're not married. Um, it, their relationship has been kind of easy up until this point. Um, there hasn't their the relationship isn't one marked by moments of big gestures. It's just kind of like they kind of uh, floated closer together. Uh, and for some reason, today is the day that they both have something to say to the other person. Uh, I think that's good. Great. And then you'll call cut. Right? Yeah. Okay. Great. Okay. And so we're looking for th five, three. three to five minutes. Yeah. Let me grab some chairs.
like um, take this up and to, to the next level. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, really? Um, my friend is coming into town this weekend. Okay. I told her that she could uh, stay with us. I thought, I didn't think you'd no, have no, a problem. No, no, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, no, not at all. You might hear some crazy stories from her about <laughs> me. <laughs> like? Uh, just like, we went to school together, so. Oh, okay. We just, yeah. you know, we've known yeah. each other a really long time, yeah. so. she. That's Barbara, right? Yeah. Yeah. I just, I haven't seen her in years, so. She kind of, you know, she's the kind of person that like throws me under the bus. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, I, don't, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think that you no. mind. That's why I told her, I was like, you're more than yeah. welcome to stay with us. Do you ever like think like where this is going to go? Yeah. <laughs> what have you thought? I thought that it's going. But don't you want more than just going? I, I mean, we never sat down and talked. I just thought. I know, I know. We're, we're both really busy. I, I, I get it. But, but you know, I'm, I'm much older than you. I'm 15 years older than you. I know. You know. My, that doesn't bother me. No, I, I didn't think it did. Um, I know it didn't. You wouldn't have agreed. I mean, no, I would have been, been like too old. Right, right. <laughs> uh, but but you, you, you liked older guys. I mean, when, when I saw your. I like you. I know. I love you. I know, I know and I love you too. I just, I want more. I just thought we had an agreement that we'd always just take it one day at a time. Yeah, and this is the day. <laughs> when Barbara comes, she'll probably make it seem like I did a lot of partying. Okay. Okay? And I did. And you know how I told you I don't like the taste of alcohol? Mm-hmm. I do. <laughs> Barbara would make a great aunt. <laughs> because I don't have a sister? Yeah, and because I don't have family here. You know, my family are in New York. And I just think it'd be nice to, to you know, have family, you we, know? We need to find out if that's something that we can do. Is that something you want? Of course. It's something I want, too. We have to make sure it's physically, we can. We can do it. Physically do that. Is there, I mean, our sex life is pretty darn good. I know, but we just have to make sure if. Was there something that, that wouldn't? Is there like a lever or something that we need to. <laughs> you, you don't seem like you want the same thing I want. I do. It's not that I don't want that. I just think there's some things we need to let go of before we can get there. Okay. I, I'm letting go right now. You see? This is what I'm doing. This is what letting go looks like. Yeah. Okay? It's, yeah. Okay. Whatever Barbara... Your letting go is a very nice. Thank you. I've been working <laughs> on my letting go. Barbara is family. And whatever happened between you and Barbara, I totally accept, okay? She's been there for me through a lot of... Great, great, great. And that's what we're going to need as we build a family. I just never wanted to burden you with things that I've done before. As long as you 
don't bring it up to our kid, I'm fine with it. Okay, cut, that's good. Let's cut there. That's good. <laughs> so you want to do this direction thing? Or yeah, yeah. So that's good. I would first say is can we play? Can we get on our feet? Is that sure? Yeah. We can do. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So let's let's pretend that like um, we've cut away and now we're coming back to like a later part of the conversation. Okay. Um. Uh, I think what he wants is probably fairly clear. Yeah. So I think push harder uh, on what you want. Okay. Because I think there's some confusion still on what, what that is. Sure. Um, you know, and I would say you got to raise the stakes for yourself in order to, to get him to understand. Because essentially, you know, what he's asking you to do is pretty, right? Yeah. And you can't do that until the other thing is solved. That's sure. where you're at. Let's just try that. Okay, so where are we, are we redoing this or this is- Not redo, let's just continue on. So we're just kind of heightening what we're at already. Okay, great. Uh, so this is like an hour later or something like that? Mm, minutes later. Minutes later. Great. All right. Okay, action. I'm not ready to have a child or get married yet. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, the married part I'm not ready for. The child part I am. Okay. So. <laughs> you want to have, have a, a child? And just a casual child. <laughs> yeah, that would that would be to start with, and then you know. Okay. Are you are you in? I. I know that you don't want me to tell my child about my past, and and that sounds like a, a strange in, thing to. It's not important. It is important. It's very important. There's things that you don't know about me, and it's important. Okay, tell me one thing. I'm going to love you, whatever you say. Whatever I say. Whatever you say, I don't care. Um, I used to have a very... I used to have a very hard time with, with alcohol. Okay. And I know that you've seen me when I've been fresh. Um, fresh, what do you mean? Like <laughs> new. Fresh and new. Fresh and new. New. Turned over a new leaf. Okay, not drinking anymore. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and I don't ever want you to see that other side of me. Um, but sometimes I'm so tempted and it's so hard, which is why I, I feel like I'm always, everything's so easy with you because you just understand everything. And sometimes I want you to not understand. Sometimes I want there to be, be something that I want to fight you. Sure, I want to push that harder. Give I want to fight with you. Okay, great. I just want to. I want to yell at you. It's go something ahead. I've just never done. Uh, go ahead. You, you have just, my permission to yell at me. Okay. No, you're making it easy. <laughs> oh, I don't care. I love you. I know okay. You, I know. I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to get out of this relationship. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Don't for one second. I don't think care. That. If you want to get out of the relationship, it's fine. As what? long as you have the baby, I'm cool with it. <laughs> Yes, I'm not gonna hold you back. <laughs> so you want me to have your child and then leave? Doesn't make you feel, Stacy. Let us know how it makes you feel. That's ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous. That sounds like. That's so ridiculous. <laughs> Listen to yourself. We've been together for years, and you want me to have we a have child, and then you don't care what happens next. I don't next? care. I want a child. Okay. 
And this is the way you want to go about I'm it? Not, that's not my first choice. Don't but you think I'd be a great mother? I you would. You would be a great mother. You'd be an excellent mother. But I'm, I'm giving you an escape clause here. <laughs> if you want to get out of it at any time, it's fine that's with me. That's not what I want. Okay. What do, what do, I, I want a child. I want this to feel real. It is real, okay? If you'd stop pushing me away. Pushing me away? You just told me I could leave if I want. I did that. I did. You gave me an I, open door. Right, because that's what you do to people that push you away. You give them space, and then they come back. You come back. What if I didn't? I don't care, as long as I have a child. I told you this. All right, good, good, cut. Very good. Okay, great. So why don't you come up, Stacy? Stay here. Okay. Pull the t either next to me or Jack. All right. So if okay, so we did this. This yeah. is in one of your films. Where does it go from here? Uh, okay. So uh, do you want me to talk editing or camera placement? It's whatever, whatever you want. So let's then, let's talk editing, right? Sure, sure, sure. Okay. So um, you've got two scenes, right, to cut from? We got two scenes. So one thing I probably almost wouldn't almost always do is. Probably cut off the first half of the scene. It's just gone. Okay. Like we don't need it. So your initiations would are all just um, getting you guys in the moment. So it's almost like an improvisation where we start in the middle of the scene. You're right. letting the you're letting us kind of warm up, but in the back of your mind you're going, I'm gonna when it goes to editing, I'm gonna cut it to the juicy part. Right. I had a teacher who was like, you know, if you're gonna show a movie about a couple getting married start the movie when they're like on the cruise line or going on their honeymoon like don't start when they're proposing to get married like start it as late as possible and that's like movies that's just the way it's just a great so yeah I wouldn't kind of like no, that's not to say you couldn't let, let something like a slow boil kind of build up, but in this specific situation, probably what my instinct would tell me would be like, let's just cut out the beginning stuff. Because a lot of the improv, a lot, a lot, a lot of the stuff in the uh, initiation, the one, two, the first, second, third, fourth, fifth moves, you're trying to figure out a lot of like, and you guys had a lot even, but if it's just a straight, like you don't know anything, you're trying to figure out who, when, where, what, mm -hmm. and that shows up on film very badly, because it shows like you don't know what you know, need right. to know. Yeah. Um, so it, it destroys the world. So cut that all out because it's just like mechanics. It's just the other stuff. Um, and then move on. And then the other thing is that all the, any of the side coaching, which I certainly would do while we were rolling. Um, so you would do that on set? That up. Sure. Okay. You can, uh, so for close quarters, we shot on the 5D. And the, at that time, you, the 5D, 5D is was, what? Uh, Canon 5D. It's a camera. Okay. Uh, DSLR camera. Very sure. popular. And um, it, at that time, it's changed now. But at that time, you could only go uh, 12 minutes before it would just stop. Because the Japanese were like, it's not a video camera, it's a it's a photo photo camera, and there was weird like import export rules, whatever. Um, and so it would just stop going after 12 minutes. So on close quarters, we would run for an hour and a half straight, and every 10 minutes, I would just self-imposed. My script supervisor would be like, you're at 10 minutes, and I'd find a kind of spot, and I'd say, okay, let's pause here. Uh, we cut cut the cameras, uh, get a drink of water, and I'd give them a piece of a direction, and then we'd continue again. Um, but also, like when we did the bathroom scene with Dave and Holly, I never let them out of the bathroom for an hour and a half. And I didn't let myself out of the bathroom either. That's cruel. Yeah. <laughs> that is really cruel. What to, was your... We had to build the camera around Stephanie and myself. So I operated one, Stephanie operated one because we shot with two cameras. And the bathroom was an actual bathroom. So once we loaded in and we got everything thing, everything in, like you, once you closed the door, you couldn't without breaking everything down. So I was like, okay, once you guys are in here, you can't leave. Because I wanted to try and create this kind of pressure cooker situation for them. 
So by the end, I mean, in that, in, the, in, in that, we end up taking most of the stuff from them at the end. So I'm okay with shooting a lot and cutting it all out, essentially, to kind of come back around. What else in editing? So any, yeah, any of the side coaching, I'd probably cut out. Any of the moments in improvisation where you it's a line that's kind of like restating where are we at right now, because I feel like that happens a lot in improvisation, it's just kind of restating so that everyone knows out there in the audience, like, this is what's happening. Right. Cut out. In improv, in live setting, I think it's mandatory that you need to... I see a lot of repetition in improvisation when you see it live. I think it's mandatory to the form to be successful at it because it's like people need... When they hear you say something, you almost need a chance to kind of make sure that they're on board with where you're at. But in film, it just happens a lot quicker. So you don't need to really reestablish stuff. So you'd cut that out probably. Um, and I really liked the stuff near the end. I mean, the thing that I find interesting is less about the secrets that you guys had, but the tactics in which you're doing to try and tell your secret. Mm -hmm. Now, yours came out fine. And it doesn't, there's no right or wrong here. Yours came out relatively quickly, but it even, wasn't even the whole thing. What we gave you is that you wanted her to have your baby, uh, and then it did come out, yeah, that, but, it, but not be married. Right. The thing that's interesting to me is why. Like, why <laughs> would you want that? Um, and there's just, and she started to get to it, um, through, through the scene because it's like, well, you, wait, wait, you want my, you want my, my ovaries, you want my eggs, but you don't want me. Like that's enough for a movie. Gosh, that's horrible. And what, what Stacy wanted was to have you accept her past more specifically, kind of a, your family's struggle with addiction and your own personal struggle with addiction, which we hadn't talked about, but it was nice that you essentially had been keeping a secret from him for three years. So there was a lot of more stuff in Stacy's that we could have pulled out as the scene went on. And I think those two things matched up incredibly well. You're, you're wanting to take right. the next step. She wants you to kind of like... I think, I don't know how you felt, but I think I probably could have made, delved into that better and made it more, it, it was it, to make it more real. I think I would have been really more curious about her past. Well, see, here's the thing. So in when we're shooting it, I, we could have we could have kept doing what you guys were doing for another 10, 15 minutes and just kind of exhausted it. And then I could have go, gone and said, okay, now, Jimmy, why don't you go and explore, let's explore this. And you guys could go on that for 15 or 20 minutes. When I get to the editing room, I can take, even though we shot it chronologically, we can go and put everything and mix it up. And all of a sudden, you're getting like a really interesting, nuanced, back-and-forth performance thing. Um, it doesn't have to be as we did it, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what's really cool about it. So we did that at close quarters a lot. We would we would explore something all the way to its end, and then we'd go, okay, we got that. Now let's explore something else. And then through that, we would kind of be able to piece together this kind of story. It's interesting because it's like you're writing in the editing room, and it's like if you've ever written a script, it's like um, the challenge with writing a script is you have to kind of create things out of nothingness. But in when you're doing it the way we did it, like close quarters, or I'm working on a documentary right now, it's very similar. It's like someone has given you phrases of a book that doesn't exist and you then need to almost like cut up style put these phrases together in a way that says what you want to say so that's how the improv movies i think maybe come together is if that makes sense is you get all this information and then it's it's, it's really in the editing it is really in the editing it's also in camera placement i mean i think talk a little about that so, uh, um, it, really broadly speaking, so you guys are on the couch. Let's say that looks like a couch. Yeah. So it's like the camera says so much. It's kind of hard to say exactly where I'd put camera. But like the first knee jerk reaction would be kind of like where I was sitting, and then which was right in front of us. Was right, right in front, and then coverage would be kind of basically where your cameras are currently. 
Um, and then when you guys got up, we would probably want to try and create some sort of um, camera to um, camera move or camera aesthetic to try and reflect the energy of that. Maybe that means handheld. Maybe I don't know what it means exactly, but something that's you know a little more energetic. Um, and if we were doing an improvisation, I would be shooting with multiple cameras. We'd shoot it mm -hmm. two or three angles at the same time. What, what was your feeling about the game? I, well, I thought it was interesting that knowing that we both had secrets, I wanted to make sure that I listened to what your secret was, but still know that I had to get mine out there. Mm -hmm. So it was interesting to try to find a way to meet them in the middle at the same time without losing either of them. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was interesting that I was like, oh, well, you're saying your thing right away, so i got to honor that and somehow make it so that I can also give mine in there. The other thing that's so important is expectation. And I asked you this, what is your expectation? So it's like drama, and I could, that could also be used for comedy, is um, expectation that is then either realized or unrealized. So it's like um, the expectation of like... Um, uh, Shit, what's the one where the guy pokes out his eyes? Um, the Greek tale? Oedipus. Thank you. Oedipus. The expectation of Oedipus is that he's going to do everything that the prophecy says. And so the, the drama of that is watching the expectation fulfilled to their horror, right? A lot of it's like, so Stacy asked her, what, what is your expectation coming into this scene? Her expectation coming in was that you would not accept it. So when you were then all of a sudden accepting, so it's actually really great because it fucks her up because it goes against what she it expected. It made it so fun, yeah. Now what we could do is if we're going straight improvisation in this whole film, um, as in like there's no script, we're just going from that. We could shoot this improvisation that we just did, we could put it together, and then we could go back later and create an expectation scene for, for Stacy where she's somehow saying this, maybe that's through dialogue with a friend or uh, unknown. Mm -hmm. um, but then you can... The audience, you can play with their expectations and showing how that happens. We could do the same thing with yours, with you as well. Okay, great. We're going to take some uh, questions for you okay. about what we just did, or about the the uh, the, uh, the program at Second City, okay. or filmmaking, or directing. So, uh, Lauren, that's my wife. She's got the. Uh, let's get uh, a question. We'll start with uh, Tom over here. Sure. How are you doing? Is this Hi. Tom? Yes. Uh, yes, Tom. It is. Thank you for coming. Uh, I want to ask you, how is uh, directing improv different from coaching improv? Um, I have not coached enough improv to be an expert on that. Um, I would say that I don't, I try not to do that much on set in terms of directing. I think that's kind of when I, you asked me to do this and you wanted me to direct. I was like, well, I don't know how much I actually end up doing. Now, if you had someone who's worked with me, they might disagree with that, but. I, I, I try and, I'm focused on the camera, the lighting, editing, and overall story stuff. So I, I, really, like, I really like to let the improvisators, improv, <laughs> the improv folk kind of, or, or my actors do their thing. And then I would really, my ideal situation is me just like gently, a lot of it has to do with casting, just casting well. I mean, I wouldn't cast people I didn't, that needed too much coaching, I guess. So you try and cast right. So it's kind of just like gentle nudges, like sheep herding, just trying to you know, head over here. Um, or just like pushing you to go. But, but I almost got the sense when, we, when I said, this is what we're going to do, I want you to direct. You were like, oh, I'm not Mick. I'm not, like you right. don't consider well, Because I, I, I can't give you like, okay, so Mick, I'm going to write a book and here's how to direct an improvisation. So you, like, but, but it's, I think it's interesting because you don't think you're like, to me, you're like, um, you're, uh, you're an expert at, at, at directing the film part, but the improv part, you're not as comfortable. Is that right? I just, um, 
think this is tough because for me it comes back to like a first principles question. Like, w when is it improv? When does improv end? Or when when have we given too much and it's no longer improv? It's kind of, and that's the only reason why I'm hesitant to answer that question, or that's why I'm hesitant. Because it's like, it, is what we're doing, was this what we were doing still improvisation? Is it still improv? And I'm, I'm not sure if I'm an expert to be able to answer that question. Maybe you guys have a point of view on that. Stacy, what do you think? If what we did was improvisation? Right. I mean, we had like a world to play in, so I think that a lot of it was improvised, but when it's more realistic situations, it can feel like it's more scripted because we know what these people would say. So it feels more real than, you know, when you think of improv in general, right. that it could go anywhere, that when you have a sit situational improvisation, it feels more re realistic, so it feels scripted in the sense that it's, you almost know what's gonna happen or you have expectations of what's gonna happen because you've lived it or you've seen it. Yeah. I think the other reason why I'm hesitant to kind of like say I'm a director of improvisation is that I don't know what, all I'm doing is what's interesting me. Like all, mm -hmm. all that I want to do is just stuff that interests me. So I don't know how, how transferable that is to someone else. Like it, uh, the only reason I was pushing Stacy in the, in the, or side coaching is because like I want to see, let's go here. Like I'm, I all of a sudden something sparked me. So it's kind of like I'm a easily distracted child <laughs> who needs lots of input. And until I get, if I'm bored, you know, as a director, you're the first audience member. So it's like, if you're bored, then my audience is bored. Or I'm bored. And if I'm bored, then that's good enough for me to want to do something. And that can mean I'm going to ride you, or I'm going to push you, or I'm going to not tell you anything. I mean, there's a whole lot of directing tactics that you can use that we could talk about, I guess. But why am I doing it? Because I want to be, I want to be more interested, you know? Like, I don't want to be bored. Great. Let's take another question. Jesse? Hello. So what are the biggest hurdles between an improvised movie and a scripted movie? Hmm. <laughs> Besides the script. They're actually not as different as you would expect. I mean, essentially, at the end of the day, whether you're going in with a script or you're going in uh, uh, straight improvisation, you need to make sure that you've got the performance. I, even in scripted stuff, even, like Open Tables is like, is uh, it ended up being 76 minutes of the film. The, the script is like 40 pages. In it, there are full-on um, Dave and uh, Beth Lakey's uh, uh, storyline is 100% scripted. I don't know if they ad-libbed at all. It's 100% scripted. Um, then there's whole six sequences that are completely improvised where there's literally nothing. It's just like make fun of this and like or um, riff on three ways, which is one of the things that's in the script. Just is like make fun of three ways. Believe it or not, it's another episode of Improv Nerd. It's in the can. And I want to thank our guest, Jack Newell. And I also want to thank uh, Stacy Smith for making me look so good as an improviser. Uh, that was such a cool process, especially when we got to, to improvise it again. Uh, I want to thank our home base here, the people who treat us like rock stars. And, of course, you know I'm talking about Stage 773 here in Chicago. I'd like to thank my producer, Dan Schiffmacher, and my assistant, Chloe Fitzpatrick. If you want more information about me, Jimmy Corain, and my award-winning improv classes and my improv blog, which will make you a better improviser and make you a better person, the person part is up to you. It will make you a better improviser. Go to jimmycorain.com and sign up for our newsletter. Also, we are part of a podcast collective called feralaudio.com, and we are not alone there. They have some of the most innovative and hilarious podcasts out there. 
people like Chelsea Peretti, Dan Harmon, Todd Berry, just to name a few. Check it out at feralaudio.com. I want to thank today's sponsors again, Steel Stacks Comedy Improv Festival in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and the Houston Improv Festival in Houston, Texas. I want to thank you for listening because we couldn't do this podcast without you. And until next time, remember, walk, don't run. I'm Kyle Ayers. I'm the host of Never Seen It, the podcast where comedians rewrite famous movies and TV shows they've never seen, and then we give them a read in studio. This is a clip I want to play for you guys from an episode where Langston Kerman rewrites Scarface. He's never seen it, but he wrote a script based on what he thinks he knows about it. And here's a clip. Give it a listen. All right. Scarface, the new frontier. Interior, happening discotheque. Remember when we call clubs discotheques? <laughs> LOL, the 70s were crazy. Night. The crowd bustles with young, hot Mexicans who are supposed to be Cuban and all are dressed in butterfly collared shirts and pants that look like Jinko jeans and pleated khakis had a really weird baby. <laughs> There's sex in the air and Poppy wants a whiff. <laughs> oh my God. Scarface, 22 to 45. <laughs> like he's a television audience demographic? Devilishly handsome. Not even a little bit Italian looking, so get that out of your dumb brain. Walks through the crowd with the confidence of a man who's going on MTV Cribs with the Ying Yang Twins. <laughs> Does he actually have a scar on his face? Fuck no. Why would he even why would you even ask that? That's not important. What's important is that he is not at all a problematic stereotype <laughs> and that he has come for his cocaine. <laughs> As he approaches the red rope of the VIP, pronounced V-A-P-E in Spanish, oh my God. he spots his dear friend, who is almost certainly going to become his enemy by the end of the film, Smooth Skin. Scarface yells out his signature line. <laughs> Ciao, Bella. It's me, Scarface. Oh, my God.